This morning from Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 25. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Well, good morning. I'm absolutely exhausted. I spent a week with seniors. Um, the, the preaching wasn't that hard, but their behavior. <laughs> no, I tell you, we have um, between and all, there's various churches there, not just Hillcrest, of course, but um, there is a treasure in the hearts of people, some of who feel sometimes marginalized just by life and circumstances and abilities, but it's like there's this great resource just nearby. So word, word to you, take a senior for lunch. Uh, they need the food, and they'll do your heart good. So uh, anyway, just, just kidding. But uh, uh, it was great. I have to just say I'm going to be using uh, a a piece of Brian's notes, I cajoled it off him at camp, and uh, he was willing to share that with me. Brian Heaney was our morning speaker. I got to tell you folks, he knocked the ball clean out of the park, morning after morning after morning, and the final morning that we were there, he's speaking this morning, actually right now he'd be probably just concluding out at camp or getting near, but uh, yesterday morning, uh, God landed on Brian, if I can say it that way, and it's not that it, God isn't there with Brian, but what he was sharing just lit him up, and he, it just, I don't know what, I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble with Brian, he's way bigger than me, so I, um, and he knows counseling stuff, he could mess your head up, you know, if you, uh, but it was, it was God speaking through a man yesterday morning. I'm telling you something, it was really, really special. And I, I think it would be good for us as a church to tap. He's got a, a deposit of truth in him about uh, digging and, and opening up the old wells. And he uses a story about one of the patriarchs who was chased out of where he was living, had to go live in this sort of barren place. And there, his, his patriarchs had dug wells there, but the Philistines had blocked them with garbage because they knew that would make it in. You couldn't live there without water. And so he redug the wells, this patriarch, and uh, he talks about that in the context of the church, of redigging wells of truth that God has put um, in the hearts of, of, of the heart of the church. And um, there's just great treasure in that. So it was just brilliant. If you, if you want to do that with Brian, just don't tell him I told you to do this, but you know, say, Brian, hey, can we, we heard about your talk at camp, can we do lunch or coffee and share with me some of the stuff you've got? It's good. It's very good. Um, I, I, I understand that there was a meeting um, that I wasn't part of, and they were talking about this Romans preaching series, and there's these two chapters in Roman, chapters uh, uh, six and seven, I think it is, and um, there are a lot about sin in there, and they thought, well, okay, who who in the staff is an expert in sin? And they, <laughs> I think my name came up. <laughs> but anyway, glad to be here and sharing with you this morning. We're going to be speaking the next, this Sunday and next Sunday. Um, and we're going to be talking from Romans chapter 6 and 7. Um, and of course, when we're doing these, these uh, chapters, uh, it's not in depth. We can't cover it all. We're just kind of going through and trying to glean out uh, you know, the, the heart of the message is we would come to understand it of what God has said. And so, um, you know, if you, there's so much more that could be said, but we'll try to dig into the, to the important stuff. 
When I look at chapters in the Bible, when I'm going to be speaking out of an area of Scripture, I always try to look there for uh, reoccurring words or phrases. Oftentimes, you'll see that the Holy Spirit, as, it was, as he was inspiring authors to write books, um, he made it clear if there was an emphasis he wanted people to pay attention to, he'd repeat it or would show up in different maybe written differently, but the same idea keeps showing up, showing up, showing up. And in the two chapters of Romans, I'm going to speak out of Romans 6 this morning, uh, the word sin or some variation of the word sin shows up, I think, about 19 times. Uh, so that's a, there's, it's significant. And in chapter uh, 7, it shows up again 18 times. And then, of course, you know what's going to come in chapter 8. It's kind of like the 5 and 6 lead you to 8. And the Bible wasn't written in chapters, but it was written with a thought that was being developed that was the Holy Spirit's design. Um, And so I'm just going to go through and look at some verses and uh, make some comments. But we we want to find the real... Landing ground. I'm going to, I must tell you this now. I'm going to talk about something that's truth. Um, and I just felt I need to say this. Like sometimes um, we accept things as being true if it gives us a nice feeling inside or a power. And sometimes it does. The truth of God can certainly comfort and stir and stimulate our hearts. But I want you to know that some of this truth, you may not feel it but you need to believe it. And I'm going to tell you that it's, it may be after a season of believing it that the feeling of it will really land and you'll say, oh, thank you, God. You'll get it. But hear it this morning, and I'll tell you when we get to the spot so you'll know uh, this, is where, uh, this is what I'm talking about. So if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, you can follow it. Um, Romans chapter 6. Oh, I just want to say something about senior camp. An observation. So, and again, don't tell the seniors. Or some are already back here, so we, they're going to hear it. But it was interesting to watch. So when senior Christians get together, uh, there's a collective think that I think some of them didn't think. So they started doing a, a trip down memory lane with the music. You know what I'm saying? And it was fine. It was good. But I showed two clips of music in my messages. One was a clip of Petra uh, singing uh, Alien, We're Not of This World. Hear me, I'm not making fun. It led to an altar call, Pernier. Like it was just, they, they were there. In fact, Pat says, Dave, you're deaf, you can't hear it. But they're, they're singing Petra. And that's old stuff, but it's, it's cool stuff. But then, one of the nights, I played Zach Williams, the song that the video where he's singing in the prison, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. I got to say, that you know Zach's story, he was a, a, an evil, wayward prodigal, and God got him, and brought him back into life in the Christian faith. And I'll tell you, there's very few guys will get up and groups will sing a song with that energy they just let her go and i mean when he he's singing that song he's not leaving anything in the tank it's all coming out there and again pat said they're singing along with zach williams and we had a group come out from regina i think and and do some worship the last few services and they sang songs kind of in between the old and the new and some of the new and our our seniors listen you know when it's all said and done they want to worship it's not about old or new. They just want to worship. So as we choose our music and we, we lead in worship, if you're doing worship, they're with you. They want to sing worship. And it was beautiful to see that. So now I've got the uh, hobby horse off my chest and I feel better. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, which are connected to chapter 5, verse 20. I'll let you check that out. This is what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning 
so that grace may increase. As before it talks about where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Is it logical then to sin so we can get some more grace? And Paul makes a, a very sharp statement. By no means. Don't go there. Don't you dare say that or think that. Sin is just that serious and dangerous. Don't go there. We are those who died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really drill into what I've just said. If we've died to this thing, how can we live in it? In chapter 6, verse 15, he uses the same phrase, by no means, don't you dare, don't go there. Um, I'll just say this, if you have issues with sin, I have struggles. That's why I think the team picked me. Because they see it. <laughs> no, of course not. I hide it. But <clears throat> but listen, Romans 6 is going to say to us, don't you ever give yourself permission to sin. Don't you go there. Don't say, oh, well, it's, and justify it. Can't be done. Don't sin. I remember hearing this grace preacher in, and Eston, you've heard me rant about him before. Uh, uh, I can't remember his name now. He's a little short Texas Irish guy. Um, but he preached on the grace of God, the most compelling message I've ever heard on the grace of God. But he said, before I start, he said, you need to understand that God would love to go up on top of our churches with a loud PA system and yell with the loudest voice that he could muster, don't sin. Brian said one of the, the wells that's been stopped is the whole idea of holiness. And he said, the thing that has muddied the waters of holiness is legalism that crept into our churches. That's not holiness. Holiness is not legalism. It's transformation. Deep, deep, deep within. Don't ever give yourselves permission to sin. Romans 6.14 says, sin shall, sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Grace takes you away from sin. It can no longer master you. It will try. It wants to. But it has no longer a right to do so. Romans 6.23 makes a powerful statement. We need to always hear this. And some people think, well, this is just before conversion and after conversion is different. The wages of sin is death. Listen, sin always produces death. Something's going to die. Someone could even die. Sin kills. That's why God said, don't do these things. Because it destroys. And if you think, well, I can sin and get away with it. No, no, you can't. You never will. It will always bring destruction. You say, well, I thought we are forgiven. Yes, we are. Penalties paid for. But sin hurts. It'll hurt you. It'll hurt those you love. It'll hurt strangers. Sin is a damaging thing. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what pulls us out of the mire, is this great hope of eternal life. We read this morning... And I'll, I'll go into this more next week. Uh, Romans 21, 7, 21, 24 says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Anybody find that out? For in my inner being, I delight in doing God's law, but I see another law, another principle at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And again, don't, you don't have to indicate by the raising of a hand or anything, but does some of you know the war I'm talking about, where there's a you struggle within, where you, you're drawn towards an attitude or a thought or an action or something that you harbor maybe secretly in your life, there's this pull towards that, and yet 
You know you don't want to go there, but it's just like this tug of war. It's just pulling at you, pulling at you, and you think, oh. And it's exhausting. It can be exhausting. It can be defeating, distracting, the struggle. Paul says it well. He said, what a wretched man I am. And listen, I don't think this is Paul speaking pre-conversion. I think this is Paul speaking in the present. He said, I just, I feel so troubled. What do you think the thorn in the flesh was? We don't know. But Paul talks, he said, within were struggles in one of his writings. He said, inside me there was a struggle. And listen, uh, Brian made an interesting comment. I wish I could quote it perfectly. I can't. But he said, one of the unusual things of God is that God takes an unholy person, makes them holy, and allows them to live in an unholy world. When you read the story of Sodom and, and, and Gomorrah and just Lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that where he lived, it says his soul was vexed, is the King James kind of language, I think. He, he was troubled by the culture he lived in. And I think sometimes the, the anger that boils up in some of us towards people who are doing it wrong in our culture, there's an anger sometimes shows up. We're, we're mad at people. But we should be mad at sin and the devil. Be mad about that. Get really mad about that. Go crazy with that. Start to pick it on Main Street. Against the devil. <laughs> Not against people. What a wretched man am. Who will rescue me from this body? I'll, we'll talk about that next week. And then he makes a grand statement, which we'll again drill into next week. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a winnable game. Listen to me. I can say from experience, sin can be defeated. And we can live with freedom and joy and peace and allow the anointing that God puts into our life, which can be so messed up with sin, it just can't flow. But when God begins to set you free and sin no longer is your master, then those conversations you always wanted to have that would transform somebody's life, it starts to happen. Because God is now with you in the most incredible way. No longer are your comments clouded by a troubled heart. It's freedom inside and you're able to speak. Paul writes in Timothy's letter, he says, here is a trustworthy saving that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here's the tough part. Paul says, of whom? I am the worst. And again, I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm theologically off the mark, but people say, well, that was Paul talking about his pre-conversion days. I'm not so sure. I'll tell you what, I, one of the holiest, godliest little men I've ever met was Mr. Neve and Eston. I've told you the story probably at least a million times, but I won't go there again. But he made a comment in the prayer he used to always pray before our supper. He would say, Lord, why you left your rainbow encircled throne and came and died on the cross for a wretched man like me, I will never know. And I thought, Mr. Neve, you're wretched? You're sinful? oh, I better go kill myself. You know, I mean, but he said, the closer you get to God, the more dirt you see in yourself. And the more awareness you have of your sin, that's the work of God leading us into holiness, making us aware. Now, just for fun, if you're a wretched sinner, would you stand and wave? No, just... <laughs> I saw a couple of guys were getting ready to stand up. But honestly, folks, we should all stand up. I'm not asking you to. But honestly, in the presence of a holy God, do you think we can stand? We say because of the work of Christ, yes. But on the inner humanity of yourself, is it not daunting to stand in the presence of a holy God? 
but you can, knowing that he loves you. But we need, I think some Christians are not self-aware. I think if we think we don't drink, don't smoke, and go to movies and dance, we're good. And some of those dear saints who didn't do any of those things were the most miserable people in the church who would beat up poor old pastor every day in the foyer after the service and criticize everything. No, listen, sin is sin is sin. And some of the external sins are the least important. Brian told an amazing story of three young men who came to know Christ in one of the churches that he pastored, and they all smoked. And they had, <laughs> they had church picnic. And what do you do after you have meal if you're a smoker? Well, you got to have a cigarette. I used to smoke. I know how it works. If you're having coffee, you have to smoke a cigarette. If you're having a beer, you've got to smoke a cigarette. If you go have lunch after lunch, you sit down, you've got to have a cigarette. And I'm not mocking. I'm not being smart. It, it's a tough thing. It's a tough addiction. It is. So he notices in the picnic that the three men are missing. And Brian, was such a, this was the day he was all lit up. And he, he just said, I went looking for him. And he said, they're in behind a bush having a smoke. And he said, when I walked up at first, I thought, Lord, I'm seeing the burning bush. <laughs> but it was these three guys smoking. And he said, what are you doing? And they were all, you know, they probably, one of them probably had it hidden behind his back. You know what it's like when you're, yeah. I remember opening the car windows as I drove home after a wild night of carousing in Weyburn, thinking that the air going through the car would take out all the smell of tobacco from the car, right? Mom and Dad never would think of having a cigarette, and I'd do that on a winter's night. By the time I got home from Weyburn back to the family farm about 36 miles, I had hypothermia. <laughs> and I'd think, well, good. So when Sunday morning we'd go out to get in the church, to go out and get in the car to go to church in Radville, I'd be good. <laughs> Open the door, I'm just like, oh, there's an ashtray in there, you know. Anyway, that's, I'm, I'm meandering. But holiness is not externals. It's internals. I want to talk about sin. Brian, this is my stealing of his notes. Um, he says, uh, this is, I'm actually going to read what he wrote. So this is fully him, not me, okay? I've stolen this with permission. Quite a few years ago, in 1973, to be exact, an American psychiatrist, Carl Menninger, wrote a fascinating book aptly named Whatever, Whatever Became of Sin. He noticed that in order to avoid the gravity of sin, society seemed to drop the word sin from its vocabulary. His conclusion, conclusions are quite interesting. He wrote regarding sin, it was a word once in everyone's mind but now is rarely ever heard. Does that mean that sin is no, uh, that no sin is involved in all of our troubles? Sin with a, an eye in the middle. Is no longer, is no one any longer guilty of anything? Perhaps of sin, a sin that could be repented of and repaired or atoned for? Is it only that someone may be stupid or sick or criminal or asleep? Like we have excuses we make for sin. Uh, wrong things are done, but no one is responsible. No one is answerable for these acts. Anxiety and depression we all acknowledge, and even uh, vague guilt feelings, but no one has ever committed any sin. He goes on to answer his own question. He believes that many former sins have now become crimes, and as a result, these sins have become the responsibility of the state, leaving the church with very little to say regarding sin. Others are now classified as sickness. As a result, psychiatrists and their medications deal with these sins. Something called collective irresponsibility has made it possible to move sin from our individual responsibility and put it on a society or a culture. <clears throat> His point, sin is now described in euphemistic terms, and I will look that word up and let you know before the sermon ends what that means. What is sin? I did quick Google search. 
Sin is acting or behaving in a way that does not conform with God's character or commands. It is about crossing lines that have been laid down for us by God. Sin is thus an act of rebellion and distrust. It is saying to God, you don't make the rules. I'm capable of deciding right and wrong myself. And that's from the Gospel Coalition. <clears throat> the history of sin in the biblical world, pardon me, the history of sin. In the biblical world, sin, from its first appearance, tragic and mysterious. It is tragic because it represents a fall from the high original status of humankind, created in God's image. Adam and Eve are good, but immature, fine, but breakable like glass dishes. They are without flaw, yet capable of marring themselves. Satan uses a serpent to tempt Eve and Adam, first to question God and then to rebel against him. That's from Bible Study Tools. Having taught ethics, I need to just make this simple statement without much explanation. Scripture and conscience will tell you no about sin. It's in a book that's written and given to us, but it's also already coded in. Every human being has an inside moral compass that can be damaged and rendered non-operational by misuse. Sin says and all those things that sin in is sin is all those things that do damage to us and others. The basic teaching of the chapter we're now in is that you don't have to. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? By no means. And hear this. Truth, God's truth, speaks to our sinfulness and says, you can stop it. If you take nothing else home today, take that home. I don't have to sin. I don't have to do that thing. And listen, sin has a creepy way of becoming habitual. Here's the meat and potatoes of what I want to say today. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 7. And I'm going to give, a, I'm going to lay out a truth. I'm just going to read the scripture. I'm just going to lay out a simple truth. And it doesn't matter whether you feel good about it or don't feel good, whether you have a rush of excitement or nothing at all. This is truth. Don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? When you become a Christian, and it's more than just water baptism. Water baptism is also part of it, but it's also rich with symbolism of what's actually occurred. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in a supernatural, miraculous way that you really can't see or necessarily even feel happening, you might, he takes you, as you've accepted him and repented of your sins, he takes you, and I, I was thinking, how could I ever illustrate that? I thought of somebody up here sitting on a chair, somebody parenting, loving sort of person who we could take another person and kind of sit them on their lap and that blanket would wrap around them and they, they're just now identified and just wrapped into this other person. The truth of God's word says God has taken the wayward sinner granted them forgiveness, and then plants them deeply into Jesus Christ, into his heart, into his very being. We were baptized into his death. Think about Galatians 2.20. We'll get there. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we've been united with him in, in, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body... Uh, so that the body ruled by sin would, might, uh, 
pardon me, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died is set free from sin. After a week of thinking through my God visit in my own story of conversion, I, I knew I needed to do something and sort of give myself to God, and I didn't know what to say or do, but I just thought I should take a knee. So I got down on my knees in my apartment with Pat sitting looking at me with a look of like, what is he doing? And um, I, I just said, God, I want a new life. That was my sinner's prayer. Didn't have the four spiritual laws. Didn't read it off a sheet of paper. I just said, God, I need a new life. I told my grandkids this summer, when we were there just weeks ago, walked them down the street in front of the building where it happened, and said, right here, Pop Pops and Grammy came to know Jesus. And I said, I walked down this street going back to work at my little Loblaw store the next day, and I remember walking down, I still remember walking down the street. It's the same street, the same trees, same houses, same whatever. And actually, some of the stuff is still the same, which is unusual in the city. You don't usually see it. Usually, everything's torn down, new is built, but there's still some of those same places that there. I remember walking down there, and I thought, it's the same street in Calgary, but it's not the same street in Calgary. But just like, well, what has happened to me? I had a new life. I was me, but I was something had shifted. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in, in him as a savior, he is a new creature, a new being. Something is reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, new things have become, uh, behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. Now, I'm going to just give you a, a little human glimpse here. So, back in the day, the older saints, especially, well, we, we heard this quite a bit. I think it's still being said, but we don't use the same words, so it sounds different. But we used to call what, we're, what I'm talking about, we used to call this positional truth. Positional truth, that you have a position in Christ. God has put you in Christ. And it's a little bit hard to get your head around, but it's just like, like you've been absorbed in a sense. You're still you, but you've been absorbed into the very person of Christ. And in the eyes of God, Almighty God, who sees beyond time and space, he sees me in Christ he sees me die in Christ, and he sees me come back to live in Christ. And he goes on further. He says, I already see you in the heavenlies in Christ. In the eyes of God, this is going to creep you right out, but in the eyes of God, you're already in heaven in Christ. That's why we have an eternal hope, because as sure as he's there, I'm going to be there. I'm going to personally be there, but right now in the eye of God, I'm there. I'm home. I made it, not because of me, but because of Christ. I'm in Christ. I died with him. When he died on that cross, I died. That old dark part of my life that scared me and troubled me, it died. When I embraced it, he said, you die. And now you live. There's death and there's life. I inherited an old man from Adam. I was born with this. Before I accepted Jesus Christ, I had no, zero victory over sin. None. I would just do it. I'd do it instinctively. I would do it repeatedly. I would do it when I didn't want to do it, I'd do it. I had no strength against it. I couldn't, I couldn't stop myself. I'd plunge in again. All the guilt, I remember. I remember, you know, remember the, was the Chris Christopherson talks about the Sunday morning coming down, that old country and western brutal song about this wild child, you know, singer. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have woke up Sunday morning 
At some point in your life before you knew Christ and you felt guilt and shame and you thought, I'm not doing that again. And then the next weekend, you did it all over again. Just, we couldn't stop. But that's dead. That died. The old man died. I, uh, I, should, have, I should have set you up the video. If you got electronic abilities, you can do it. But again, it's Petra. God worked through Petra. <laughs> Karen McNaughton told me that, that Petra formed her theology <laughs> and actually helped her in... And this, I'm not being smart. She came in my office and she's going to kill me. She came in my office. Well, I had it playing. I had it cranked right up, man. I'm just getting down. And I'm deaf, so I got to have it louder. I can't even hear it. So I'm just boogieing in my office. All of a sudden, Karen comes in and she's holding a a stapler or something in her hand like a microphone, and she's singing along with Petra. <laughs> Sorry, Karen, I, I'll apologize tomorrow, but or I'll pay the price tomorrow, maybe. But she wasn't kidding, and she wasn't being smart. She said, as a young person, some of the stuff they sang, that helped me. I listened to it, and it, it gave me strength. It encouraged me. And here's, here's, here's what they sang about the old man. Uh, do you want to, shall I sing it for you? No. I think it's gone far enough. I can't take it anymore. I got to get e. I, I got to get e. I got to. <laughs> I got to even up the score before he sweeps me off the floor. It's profound, really, isn't it? Um, I really got to find a way of taking care of him for good. I know he'd kill me if he could, so I'll nail him to the wood. That's the cross. Killing my old man, you may not understand, he's a terrible man. Got to make a stand and kill the old man. Every time I think he's gone, I finally won. He just keeps coming back and puts me on the run. I think I better do it now and get my hammer and nail and pray to God I don't fail, lest he keep me in the jail and I don't want to stay in jail. Not many months ago, we had set free. And uh, I went to my first set free at age 74. And when we started to have, the, we're getting ready for the first one, I was excited, but I was kind of like, I, I don't want to tell people my problems. I don't have any problems. I, I had second thoughts. I, I felt kind of clammy per year. Like, I didn't, oh, can I dare say anything? And uh, he'll probably fire me, you know. Uh, but God knew. So he canceled the first one. People got COVID. And we had the second one about a month later. And I ended up being uh, partnered up. We, we had a triad of two. <laughs> Triads are supposed to be three. But it was just two of us. And they, they took the two old guys and stuck us in the corner sort of thing. And we didn't really know each We knew each other, hi, how are you? But we didn't really know each other. So it was just this unique combination of two of us being in the time, same time and space. And I told this good man my story, which started about age nine with being sexually abused. And then in the following year, the brother of the abuser introduced me to ugly magazines. In those tender, innocent, I wasn't a Christian, but I was a tender, innocent kid. I liked shooting gophers and riding a bicycle. I didn't even know that world existed. And I can see spots in my life through all those years up until today. And I put it on the table. And the dear brother prayed for me, put his hand on my shoulder, and he prayed, Lord, take this out of Dave's life. To me, it was like another act of crucifixion, killing another part of an old part of me that just kind of stirred in there. And like so many things dropped off in my life, the very moment I took a knee with God, many things were done and gone. But some things, it was like it was trying to hang on to me. There were other things, thoughts and attitudes and taking up offenses, all that stuff. God just said, enough. It's dead let it go. It's over. 
I want to read from a book, a little old book. This, the person who had this book got it in 1886, <laughs> something like that. It's uh, Andrew Murray. It's an old, old book. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Here's a new slant on something we've often talked about. Taking up the cross was always spoken of by Christ as the test of discipleship. On three different occasions, he cites the scriptures. We find the words repeated. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. While the Lord was still on his way to the cross, this expression, taking up the cross, was the most appropriate, was most appropriate to indicate the conformity to him to which the disciple is called. The greatest declaration of your being a Christian is to say, I am crucified with Christ. That dirty old me, that corrupted, broken, sick, twisted part of my life, and I'll tell you, the longer you live without Christ, the more ugly it gets. But young or old, ugly it is. When you see a selfish behavior of a child uh, being mean-hearted and mean-spirited, and guess what? Even though they're just innocent kids, there it is. It's starting to show up. There's something broken in there. Something that cannot live. It must be crucified. I have been crucified with him, and I, that, no longer live. But Christ lives in me, and I live in Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans chapter 6, verse 8 to 11. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that, Christ has, that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Listen, sometimes I think you need to have a little talk with the devil and say something like this. Take your hands off me. That's dead. I now belong to Jesus. He's a liar and an intimidator. He will persuade you otherwise, but the truth is you're dead to sin. You can now live free of it. Do I always live in that great victory? No, I don't. But that's my pursuit in life. I pursue that thing. I want to be a holy Christian. I want to live clean. I want my heart to be clean. I don't want those shadows in my life. That's my pursuit. Count yourselves dead but alive to God. Because of that reality, it's a reality. It actually, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, it is your reality. You may not feel it. You may feel like, you're, oh, I'm still doing bad stuff. The reality is it's dead. Now stand in it. Claim it. You know, I hear a lot of people use that idea of claiming things in faith. Claim this. You're dead to sin. You can live free. Claim it. Say, that's mine. I hear what you're saying, old dark guy, but you know what? No. Nah. What does a duck boy say, that one guy? Nah. Nah. No, no longer. The last part of the chapter addresses the unfortunate reality that we humans can fall into a trap in our thinking. We, we can think we can take advantage of grace. Um, passing, you know, sometimes you have passing thoughts. That's, you know, it is what it is. You walk down the street, you see something, it's, oop, that's a problem. You walk on. Now, you're not, you know, that's, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about intentional, willful, uh-huh, I'm going to do that. I know it's wrong. I'm doing it anyway kind of stuff. Here, here's, here's two realities for you. It's sobering. Number one, if, if I do that, and I have found out the hard way when I've done it, 
If I do that, I'm going to the woodshed. God will discipline me. I've been disciplined by God. It's not, it's not always pleasant. God will say to you, I love you so much, I am not going to let you get away with that. I'm going to pull you aside, and sometimes what God does when I'm misbehaving in that way, he'll kind of step behind the curtain. He hasn't left me. He's still very aware of me, but he just says, you and I won't have that same experience. It's going to come back, but I'm going to withdraw my love so that you can actually feel it. What does it feel like when God kind of steps back? You're going to heaven. That's not the question. But God will just say, okay. That beautiful lady, uh, somebody was talking about her account. Um, She made some circuits through ACOP. She was a a gay lady, uh, lived that lifestyle for years, came to know Christ. She was a South African lady. Uh, she ran. She still I think still runs a, a grooming hair grooming shop for uh, dogs in Saskatoon, uh, and she when she became a Christian she thought she could continue her lifestyle. But she said I found every time I did engage in my former lifestyle I felt this this cooling and with some kind of a withdrawal of God's warmth and His presence. And you know, and one time when that happened she was like, God. And he said, you have to choose. Do you want the the experience of my love in your life? I'm taking you to heaven, but do you want to live in the experience of my warmth and love? You can't do that. You have to choose. I think even this morning, some of us may have to make some choices. Like, are you going to continue doing what you know in your heart? Maybe, listen, it's not just sex or drugs or rock and roll. It's attitudes. Uh, belligerence, uh, you know, you're against somebody, you're holding a grudge against somebody. What do, what's the Lord's prayer say? Forgive us our trespasses as we, as Joe Biden said, you know the thing, you know. <laughs> Sorry, that was not funny. Uh, <laughs> if you want to live in a state of forgiveness, forgive, let it go. So we've got sins that are there and they're, they're just going to withdraw from us. The sweetness of Christ. He's not leaving. He's not banishing you. He's just saying, my love and that thing don't coexist real well. I want you to stop. Please stop. Uh, sometimes God gives us a time out. Go to your room. I still love you, but go to your room. And you can't play your computer game. You can't do Minecraft with a kid down the street. Um, The second one is more sobering. And I'm not going to go on about this. But Hebrews makes it very clear that if God disciplines all the children that he loves, but if you're not experiencing God's discipline and you think you're a child of God and there's no discipline comes to your life, you probably have something else you need to do is really find Christ in a truer way. You may not be on the team. You may just come to church and sing the songs and do whatever, but you may not have really ever taken the knee and said, God, give me a new life. Give me something new. We need to take care of that little piece of business. Psalm 139 says, Lord, search my heart. Try me, know my anxieties, see if there's any wicked way in me. John 1, 8 to 10 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The takeaway from this morning, and worship team, you can come back, I'm, I'm concluding. Sometimes we do battle with sin. Be honest. Just be honest with God. Sometimes when I've been doing wrong stuff and thinking, often it's in here, right? Like thinking wrong stuff, whether it's a resentment or whatever, I'm, I've got that going on. And um, I'm afraid to go to God. I'm afraid to ask a brother to pray for me. I'm afraid to go to set free. 
because I, I feel exposed. But God just says, just be honest. Just be real. Just get real. Uh, the closer we get to God, the more aware we will be of our sin. It's not a negative thing. When you become sin aware, that's not a negative. It's actually a work of grace in your life. God, God wants to clean us, wash us, and make us new and fresh. Remember that sin is really dangerous and damaging. But remember, too, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ deals with not only the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. It breaks the power of sin. God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Sometimes you need to think about that. I'm already there in the eyes of God. I'm already at the table in heaven. By the work of God in my life, I'm there. Interesting story, end with this. Um, in John, one of the Gospels, the disciples are trying to get across the lake. Remember that story? They're rowing and paddling all night, and the wind's against them. And they're just, it says they're in the midst of the Sea of Galilee, which is not, it's not a very big body of water, but they're stuck in the middle. And then they see Jesus walking by, and they say, hey, you know, and they welcome him into the boat. Listen, read the story. As soon as he was in the boat, they were on the other shore. Hmm. That must have been quite a boat ride. Jet ski all of a sudden. Listen, when God saved you, in his eyes, you're there. I got you. Now, Lord, help me to live in it. Help me to have done with sin. Live in me. God bless. Turn it to the team.